0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, January 5th, and this is your FT News Briefing. One of the world's top gold producers has fired its chief executive. Environmentalists are worried about how difficult it is to track fishing boats. And inflation is rising again in Europe's biggest economy. Plus, China is injecting a record amount of money into local banks to keep them afloat. I'm Sonia Hudson in for Mark Filipino and here's the news you need to start your day. Endeavor Mining yesterday alleged that its CEO, Sebastian de Montesu, committed, quote, serious misconduct related to an irregular $5.9 million payment. The board is still investigating the allegation. Endeavor also said someone made a separate allegation against DeMontesu last year about his personal conduct with employees. DeMontesu has not responded to a request for comment, and Endeavor's shares closed down 10% in Toronto on Thursday following the announcement. A new study that came out on Wednesday highlighted a major problem with the world's industrial fishing industry. Most of the boats are not tracked, and that's causing a lot of problems for those trying to protect fish populations and marine environments. Here to talk to me about it is the FT's Susanna Savage. Hey, Susanna. Hi there. So this study by the conservation group Global Fishing Watch, it actually mapped out the locations of some of these normally untraceable ships. But Susanna, can you give me a sense of the scale of the problem? Just how many shipping vessels are flying under the radar and do we know roughly where they are? Yeah, So this study
1: took place between 2017 and 2021. So quite a long period, including COVID. And it found that at any given moment, there were 63,000 vessels in the world's oceans. Around half of those were industrial fishing vessels, and three quarters of those were off radar or were not publicly tracked. Now, where they were, These places include many around Africa and South Asia and a large number in Southeast Asia, where roughly 70% of the world's industrial fishing vessels seem to be.
0: You know, I'm actually really surprised to hear that it's so normal for these ships not to be tracked.
1: Well, it's actually really interesting if you compare for example, agriculture or other extractive industries on land, where there's a huge drive to map these and plot these almost down to the last metre. And we just don't see this in the seas. And a lot of campaign groups, for example, Oceana, are pushing for governments to mandate that vessels are publicly trackable so that we can see what's happening in the seas, what these extractive industries are doing, and to see the potential harm or just the consequences of that.
0: What exactly did this study reveal about how these vessels are conducting business around the world?
1: Well, it raised the possibility for the vessels to be doing illicit activity. So a lot of these vessels simply just don't have what we call automatic identification system or AIS transponders. These broadcast the location and and identity of the ships to coastal authorities and to other vessels. But others of them deliberately turn off these devices in order to engage in illicit activity. So that might be illegal fishing or forced labor or, you know, abuse of people working on the ships. And the study also revealed that Some of these untracked ships are entering into marine protected areas. That includes the Great Barrier Reef, for example, which is obviously a problem because these areas are protected because they're vulnerable marine ecosystems. So ships really shouldn't be entering into them.
0: And just how big of a deal is it that there hasn't been good tracking and oversight into fishing?
1: It's a huge deal because we have... Overexploited fish populations, which means fish are being caught faster than they can reproduce, and this has been happening for a long time. And that creates a huge problem, not just in terms of marine habitats, but also in terms of livelihoods. I think it's around half a billion people around the world that rely on fishing industries in some way for their livelihoods, and many of them are in developing countries. The study also showed, you know, there's increasing development in terms of energy, infrastructure, wind turbines, oil platforms in the seas. And so that creates conflict over space, which needs to be managed. And so going forward, we have this huge ocean economy or blue economy that's been developing and so far or until this study, at least, completely unmapped. So, yeah, this is, according to
0: the study's authors, a a first step towards addressing that. Susanna Savage covers commodities for the FT. Thanks, Susanna. Thank you. The European economy got some unwelcome news yesterday. Inflation in both Germany and France went up in December. It was especially dramatic in Germany. The inflation rate there rose from 2.3% to 3.8%. The new numbers make it less likely that the European Central Bank will start cutting interest rates in March, which is what investors had been hoping for. Government subsidies on things like gas, electricity, and food were helping to push down inflation numbers, but a lot of those subsidies have been reduced. Price data for the whole Eurozone will come out today. Chinese local authorities are pumping unprecedented amounts of money into regional banks. They're doing it in the form of special-purpose bonds. It's all part of a bid to improve the health of these lenders that have been hit hard by the country's property crisis. The FT's China business and finance reporter, Chang Ling, joins me now to discuss. Hi there. Nice to be here. So Chang, first of all, why has the property crisis hit regional banks so hard in particular? So the short answer
2: is that they lend heavily to the local property projects, which makes their loan book very concentrated and at the same time very fragile when the crisis hits. And most lenders across China are also heavily exposed to mortgages. This also emerges as a credit risk for regional lenders when a growing number of borrowers can't afford to pay back on time during an economic downturn.
0: Okay, so they're really heavily exposed, but. Can you give me a sense of just how many regional banks are vulnerable? China has a national network of more than 4,000 banks. They rarely go under
2: in the past two decades because regulators want to maintain some sort of social and financial stability in the market. But fears over their health have been increasing since 2021. So, since then, um, regulators have be- become more vocal about the need for sector wide consolidation. And this year alone, we have seen more than 20 so-called village banks in northern and western regions that have been merged or absorbed by larger banks.
0: Yeah, and that brings us to these special-purpose bonds that I mentioned earlier. So tell me a little bit about them. What exactly do they do? Who issues them? Who buys them? So this
2: instrument was introduced in 2020 to help banks through the COVID pandemic. So local governments are the fundraisers and financial institutions or other state-owned enterprises can buy them. And last year, Chinese provinces has injected a record 31 billion U.S. dollar per capital via these bonds into weak regional banks. That has more than tripled from the previous year.
0: Wow. Okay. So are these bonds going to make a real material difference to the health of the sector? I mean, what else is the government doing to help prop it up?
2: Well, it does help, but with the amount issued so far, this tool alone might not be able to fundamentally change the weak capital positions. It's a drop in the ocean, but it does help to avoid imminent credit risks. And the regulators have become more vocal in pushing for capital injections and the state purchase of stakes in some of the distressed regional lenders. The central bank has also created a separate financial stability fund to provide some emerging liquidity to curb a contingent risk if the weak banks fail. But many analysts argue that it may be also too weak for a proper safety net. So ultimately, it's the recovery of Chinese economy that will define the future fate of those regional lenders.
0: Chang Lang is the FT's China business and finance reporter. Thanks so much. Thank you. You can read more on all these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Kasha Brasalian, Fiona Simon, Mark Filipino, and me, Sonia Hudson. Our engineer is Monica Lopez. We had help this week from Sam Giovinco, David DeSilva, Michael Lello, Peter Barber, and Gavin Kallman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And our theme song is by Metaphor Music.